This is Waitley. Good morning. The AFL has confirmed its version of Northern Exposure to open the 2024 season. I mostly love this idea. Four hand-picked marquee matchups loaded with storylines staged in the expansion markets that are too often treated with benign neglect. It'll be a television extravaganza, and it does come with the bonus chance to travel given the long weekend for Melbournians. There's a little bit of twisted logic. Opening round is then followed by round one, but we'll be fine with that. You'll have your thoughts, and I'll be more expansive shortly. 0433 98 11 16 to ping through your snap judgments on that front. Let's start in India with the coach of the Australian cricket team in the countdown to this semi-final with South Africa. So a cursory glance at history shows how momentous these World Cup knockout games can be. And we demand nothing less from Australia than to be involved at this stage of the tournament. And we are accustomed to expecting success. But it is worth acknowledging what's been overcome in this campaign where nothing really has gone smoothly. This was an injury-riddled squad post a gruelling Ashes campaign. That was then compounded when Travis Head broke his finger in South Africa and Ashton Agar, the critical left-arm spin option, was ruled out with injury. The team looked jaded and moody at the start of the tournaments and began disastrously. Steve Smith has suffered from various ailments, including vertigo. Glenn Maxwell suffered that very odd concussion. Mitch Marsh headed home with a family bereavement. The selectors abruptly changed wicket keepers, which historically has been quite unsettling. The best white ball bowler in the team has been underwhelming and the all-rounders have been spasmodic. That would typically be the recipe for collapse. Yet Australia has won seven games in a row and have the squad coming together with a canny sense of timing. If only the weather will play its role. I spoke with Andrew McDonald overnight. Andrew McDonald, great to have you on the program. Thanks for having us, Jared. What's the cyclone update to start with? <laughs> yeah, made aware of that this morning. Um, yeah, there's a bit of weather around and, and forecast, but with, with the reserve day in hand, I think um, there will be a result. So we look forward to taking on South Africa, whether it be over one day or two day, which will be a, a little bit random. Are you so? What do you do? Do do you start to think about a shortened game? Do you think about a game over two days? Or what? How do you factor it in? I think we keep it really simple, and yeah, it's very hard to plan for weather. So we'll go about picking our side um, with the with the whole fifty overs in in mind on on the first day there. So I don't think we get too far ahead of ourselves or overthink it. Pick the best team for the conditions against the South African opponent, and and go from there and see what unfolds. Given that it is a little bit more than rain, have you been given any heads up on safety and that sort of thing? Uh, no, not at this stage. So most of it's sort of become aware to us this morning, as it probably ha- has for you as well. So um, earlier in the week, it was just sort of forecast as some rain, 30% rain. I mean, at this stage, that's increased a little bit. Um, so as the days get nearer, we'll, we'll probably have a clearer picture. So we're a few, few days out now, and we'll see how that unfolds. Any, any chance of relocation? Uh, no, not that I've heard of. Yep, yep. Um, variables, hey? Uh, Selection-wise, um, is it Stark in for Abbott? And then is there a decision on Labashain and Stoinis to be made? Yeah, I think the, the two ins from the from the last game will definitely be Mitchell Stark and, and Glenn Maxwell. Obviously, after the, the heroics of Glenn and, and suffering that cramp, there was, there was some risk associated with him taking on Bangladesh. So we heard on the side of caution there. And 
with Mitch Stark, um, the heavy workload. He had a few niggles coming in, so we felt like it was a, a really opportune time just to give him that sort of slight freshen up leading into the semi-final. So he, he'll be a certain starter along with Glenn Maxwell. And then, yeah, the rest we've got to talk through. And um, I suppose the, the ongoing question for most of the tournament's been about how we'll structure up with our batting uh, unit. Uh, we haven't had the full 15 available, uh, so touch wood that that is the case that we've got full 15 fully fit players to to choose from. And yeah, we'll make a decision, as I said, based upon that surface and and the opponent. But whichever way we go, we feel as though it's it's going to be a strong looking team and one that we're excited about. Does it boil down to a philosophy of heavy duty batting in a semi final or flexibility of an all rounder? Yeah, two two totally different positions. If, if you want to narrow it into to Marnus and um, Marcus, uh, yeah, so di- different different structure of team. And, and as I said, it's it's not a straight you know number five batter competing with each other. They're two totally different different roles. And yeah, we we haven't got that far in the discussion. Um, I'm sure everyone else has had that discussion. We're yet to see uh, the surface, um, and we're yet to see the conditions. So um, as always, we'll step through. Our process is boring as that sounds, but as I yeah. said, we've got you know very good options, and we're we're really um, really enthused by the way that top three's gone about it. I suppose when you start a tournament and there's some moving parts, and you don't quite get uh, your top three with Travis Head missing, and then obviously Mitch Marsh going home um, on family matters, um, we haven't really seen it unfold the way we'd have liked. But we feel as though we've got the timing right, and that's looking really strong. So whatever comes after that will be you know just just add to the team. Have you used the all-rounders less than you might have in the original planning? Is Marsh through differing reasons. Stoinis maybe hasn't bowled as much as we might have anticipated. Green's been in and out of the team. Has It was an all-rounder heavy squad. Have you used them less than maybe you were, you were forecasting? Uh, I, I think Glenn Maxwell's probably picked up a, a lot of the, the, the work and the way that he's been able to bowl and, and lock in and end as, as the second spinners. spinner is probably taking a few few overs out of the all-rounder. But we saw Marcus Stoyne's impact at um, Bangalore against Pakistan was, was pivotal. So we, we do like to have those bowling options. Um, Pat likes to, to ring the changes. And I think his style of captaincy has really suited the, the teams that we have given him out there on the field. And as I said, Marcus's impact in that Pakistan game, picking up two wickets, turning that game around, was critically important. So, um, yeah, we do like to have the bowling options. What bowling options do we need for the, the surface in Calcutta is the, the real question. What's the dynamic like at the end of the group stage? Do you do you rule a line there and now set up for hopefully two knockout games or is it a, a continued flow through the tournament? How, how do you approach that as a coach? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a continued... Uh, journey. So you, you set out with the view that you're you're making semis and you, you're planning for that. Um, clearly at, at Zip and Two early on in the tournament, that there may have been a few suggesting that we we're not going to time our run the way that we would like to. But yeah, it is a continuation. You're gathering information. We played South Africa recently in a, a five match series, so that there'll be some connection to that as well. What we've learnt um, there, and it's a familiar opponent. But yeah, um, first things qualifying. There's no doubt about that. But um, yeah, our, ex- our expectations were to, to be in the semi final, and we're planning and preparing for that. Um, and, and there was some some niggly stages at the start, but we feel as though we've got the team moving in the direction that we want. And yeah, you look through our list, and most most players have had a really significant impact in in certain games and. In the instance of Davey Warner, he's really underpinned that batting and we saw Travis Head come back against New Zealand and, and now Mitch Marsh with that big 100 as well. Um, everyone's had a, had a taste of it and they've impacted and, and that's the real positive for us. 
it's a story that will be fully told at the end of the tournament. I realise that. But this has been, it's been challenging. It's been interrupted. You've had unforeseen disruptions. You've had injury. You've lost the second spinner. Um, is there a sense of uh, that you've had to weather a fair bit to, to reach the semifinals? Yeah, I think most teams have been in similar boats as well. Um, you look at New Zealand, um, even England. Um, there's teams that have had their challenges, but one of the key things that we we spoke about at the start of the tournament was focus on what you what we've got and not what we haven't. Um, and, and that was really based around sort of Travis Head and, and Ashton Agar, two two players that we had planned for to be in there. Uh, unfortunately, Ashton w- was to be ruled out for the tournament and, and Travis coming in late. But the, the focus was on who who was there, who was in the 11 and, and how we were going to go about that. And we got excited by the 11s that we put out there, um, albeit others potentially looked at what was missing. Um, we didn't feel like we were missing anything because they weren't available. Um, so the focus was clearly on that. And we've had that mentality the whole way through. And yeah, as we come to the semi-final, we're probably in a unique position where we touch wood, we've got 15 to choose from, which is a great problem to have. Yeah, so there is a, a timing in that. I'll ask that in a moment. But just at 0-2, so there's probably a couple of dynamics. One, did, did you come together at that stage, knowing that the margin for error had probably been whittled away? And and the second part, perhaps, did you have to hold your nerve and, and keep your patience and, and, and trust that it would rectify itself? Yeah, we had great trust in the, in the players that we picked and they were able to do a job and sometimes you get in a in a situation that you don't want to be in and that was that zip and two and yeah I mean there's always conversations um to to really recommit to trusting that that the process that we put in place that the players that we picked and the style that we want to play would would work um and there's no doubt you'd probably talk to players after the tournament that they may have had their doubts um but they certainly didn't show it um it was business as usual uh, we went into that Sri Lanka game, and if we remember back that far, they got a really decent start as well. I think it was about one for 150, and no doubt that the narrative out there might have been slightly different to the one that we were sensing internally. We felt that game started to shift, and then we got an opening and were able to put our you know, foot in the door and open it right up and, and get the win there. And, and, and from there, it hasn't been smooth sailing, um, but we've found ways to win. We've had different... Um, you know, different performers as well. And as I said, most of the, the players have, uh, you know, been able to have a significant impact at, at one time or another. So they should take great confidence from that. Do you feel like you have, well, it's seven in a row. Do you feel like you have momentum, surging momentum? How, how do you feel you hit the semis? Yeah, momentum. I'm not I'm not a true believer in momentum. I think <laughs> in other sports, when the ball's in perpetual motion, then you, there is a definition of momentum. But it's probably psychological momentum in cricket because you know every game starts afresh and you know there's there's so many stops and starts in in a, in a play of cricket where you know the bowler gets the ball goes to the top of his mark and there's all all these breaks in play but I think that psychological momentum in the confidence that the players have in each other and themselves is is real um, and we feel as though we're we're, we're building at the at the right time um, which is really pleasing and and in saying that I think that. The other teams in there in South Africa and India in particular, uh, you know, they would say the same. So you've got you know, some confident opponents uh, stepping into the semi-final stages as well. Do you have a critical mass of players in good form? Maybe it's the better question. Yeah, I'd like to think so, yes. Yeah. Well, what are your concerns? I think probably the major concern being discussed back home is the, is the bowling in the power play, the first 10 overs. Do, do you share that? No, I don't share that entirely. I think that the surfaces, um, depending on whether you bat and bowl first as well, there's been a significant shift in the conditions. So if you do happen to bowl first, it's very hard to penetrate in that power play. 
Um, and there's no doubt we've had to do a lot of the heavy lifting through the middle overs. And, and Adam Zanta's World Cup to date has been exceptional. I think he's um, almost bordering on the, the most wickets of a, of a spinner. I think Matara Muralitha may have that record. And that speaks volumes to the way that he's been able to perform. But there's been others in and around that as well. It, it takes two to tango in a bowling sense. You've got bowling partnerships. And I think the other thing too is that Without the the power play wickets, the, the ability for the captain to to be able to ring the changes, keep control, and, and find breakthroughs through the middle is is probably more difficult than than what people give it credit for as well. Um, we've had the luxury of Mitchell Stark um, in the power play being able to, to to get the breakthroughs for us along with Josh Hazelwood, and and when that hasn't happened, I think that puts immense pressure on the captain and the ability for him to navigate through um, those those middle overs has been really really impressive. So the, the quicks for India have been quite startling. Is could you get more out of your quicks in these in these last two games? Yeah, there's no doubt that power play wickets are, are critical, um, and it's not through lack of planning or, or execution. And I think that when you play against batting units that are low risk in the power play as well, you, you you tend not to be able to get as many breakthroughs. And that's one of our challenges against South Africa. We've seen their style of play that they're quite conservative in the in the sort of front half of the innings and. They set it up for you know Mark from Class and, and Miller to do the damage and sort of the back twenty five overs. So our challenge in this game really, and it'll go a long way to determining the game, is those first twenty five overs with the ball. So you you may see a, a few different plans um, to to potentially undo the opponent um, in terms of taking wickets. So yeah, we're we're really focused in on that. We know how South Africa play, and yeah, it'll be a it'll be a focus point for us. Um, like it is in most other games, but in particular this one, it'll go a long way to determining the outcome. The top three with the bat, Warner's been in great form at the tournament. Head's had one terrific innings and Marsh at three just looks so natural there. Are you are you happy with what you've got at the top? Yeah, we're, we're really happy. Um, I think we sort of declared our hand a little bit on that um, in the lead-in with the way that we wanted to structure up. We wanted the, those top three batters to, to be aggressive um, at the top of the order, and they've shown that. Um, we want to maximise that power play, and, and then we've got some really key players coming in through the middle that can can play all sorts of situations, whether you're maybe two, three down early, or whether you get a good start, and yeah, they can finish off the back end. So, yeah, it's it's gelled well. Um, Travis Head, no doubt, was the the link that uh, we were waiting for, hence the decision to to hold off on, you know, ruling him out and, and giving him the opportunity to come through. And, you know, the medical team did an exceptional job there, you know, to return sort of just under six weeks um, and to, to be able to go out there and perform um, credit to them, but also credit to the to the individual coming in off a, off a small prep and being able to go out there and um, deliver one of the all-time great World Cup innings. Yeah. And then the other all-time great innings is Glenn Maxwell. Is How aware are you of the the ripple effect of that right around the country, right around the world? Yeah, well, it rippled to uh, my son's under-12s training. Um, <laughs> at, uh, at his cricket club, uh, the, the next night, they, you know, they all come in and they're playing reverse sweeps and scoops and laps and all types of things when, when the coach is probably trying to set the foundations of a stable base and keeping your left elbow up. That got thrown out the window, and I think that'll be thrown out the window for quite some time. So uh, we feel for all the junior coaches out there, yeah. You may have to change your philosophy slightly, but um, incredible innings and, yeah, one that we talked about, um, yeah, for the rest of time in cricket. I think it'll be a moment in time and uh, it's not by chance that he can do that. And I know you're a big supporter of, of Glenn and you've, you've declared that over a long time and we always knew that he had something like that in him, but he's you know gone and got the fastest World Cup 100 against the Netherlands and backed up in a 
in a really dire predicament for the team at seven for 91, I think it was from memory, and to, to go out there under duress and deliver. And, and if you look back on that, if we hadn't been able to get the points in that game, it would have made potentially the back end of this tournament niggly and not as smooth as what it's been. So, um, but yeah, in saying that, we've had some other you know, key performances as well, but that one will be remembered for the ages. So South Africa, it is, um, it's a bit of a throwback. You've played them so often in recent times. How much, how much of what you've seen um, is is integrated into the planning for now a, a, a hot, the highest stakes game. Yeah, no doubt you, you acquire knowledge across the journey against your opponent. Um, we feel as though, as I said just a little bit earlier, we feel as though they've got a, an element of predictability in the way that they want to structure up with the bat and how they play and the tempo in which they play at. Um, so there won't be too many surprises. Um, we'll be no doubt firmly focused on what we can do and how we get the game on our terms. Um, and if, it, if it's not to go on our terms, then we, yeah, we'll have some some plans in place to be able to navigate through that. Um, with the ball, they you know, they play five five bowlers, um, so they're, they're strong in terms of that. We expect that they'll play two spinners against us in, in Maharaj and Shamsi. So it, yeah, as I said, both teams that will know each other really really well. Um, a lot of games in the lead in. We had them in the you know, the second game of the World Cup where they. They got the points we feel in that one that I think Pat said even afterwards that you know the toss may have had a, a bearing that we may have got that one fractionally wrong with the conditions uh, second innings were, were, were much more difficult for batting so um, whilst that game looked as though it might have been a little bit of a blowout um, we feel as though conditions contributed to that as well and we feel like we're much better placed now and we've got um, our players in the form that we want and yeah I think it's uh, it's a different team you'll see from, from our end. Do you think with conditions now knowing you haven't seen the surface but also the pressure of a semi-final that what's the value of of putting a score on the board of, of winning the toss batting and putting something up oh incredibly value valuable um we've seen throughout the tournament it probably has turned into a, a little bit of a bat first tournament and i don't know why it happens but tournaments tend to take on these types of trends and we saw even with the um, t20 world cup that we won in the uae where it was it was a chasing tournament where i think it was 85 percent of games were won chasing so uh, this one seems to have gone into that space we, we know south africa um favor batting first as well that's when they're at their best and and i think you you could arguably say the same for us that um you know we're we're at our best when, when we bat first and, that, and that's what made the win against bangladesh the other day um chasing our highest ever world cup total um impressive as well it's it's always the the kink in most teams when there's a score on the board and and you're chasing you it's more difficult to hit that winning run um than most people imagine the the last two games at eden garden so the teams that have batted first have made 326 and 337 do you think a semi-final changes that dynamic or in, in somewhere in your mind will you be thinking well that that's been the trend at the ground over the last week or so yeah, I mean, we'll have to yeah see see what surface it is. It might be used as well. It might be a second up surface as well, which they tend to bring the, the totals down a little bit. Um, but one of the things that we don't want to do, we don't go into too many preconceived ideas of what a winning total may be. We've got a batting unit that play the conditions really well. Um, they're able to adapt and, and assess as they go. So we, we don't want to limit ourselves on what we think it might be. Um, we don't want to play it safe. It's it's a batting unit that prides themselves on on taking the positive option. And I think you would have heard Mitch Marsh talk about yeah you know, what brave means to them as a batting unit. Um, so we'll be encouraging that style of play. And who knows what the ceiling is if you were to bat first, or who knows what the ceiling is um, if you had to chase down a total. So yeah, we want to go in fresh of mind and, and play what's in front of us. Will you watch the India New Zealand game beforehand? 
Uh, watch a little bit of it. I think we've got our, our final training session. I think it's about six to nine, but there will be no doubt. Um, you know, Cole with his with his phone on the train will be giving us score updates, and there'll be an interest in it. So, I think there'll be a, a keen interest on the toss there too. We've seen one caddy um, at night come alive. Um, so whoever's batting under lights there uh, may have a difficult um, a difficult task in chasing a total down there. So um, yeah, we're interested in all the games that are happening. So India unbeaten during the tournament and at times have looked quite imperious. Are you a believer, though, once you get to these these last three games that all bets are off? Is you've got your form and all, but uh, but these these become just one-off affairs now? Yeah, we'd like to think so. Um, yeah, I think the pressure of a World Cup and, and tournament play is different, and then when you get into the semi-finals and finals, it, it goes to a new level, and we. We saw that even um, in the last World Cup in 2019, there, there was form lines going into that. New Zealand sort of snuck into the finals, are able to topple top India, who were equally as impressive in, in that tournament. So it's got a sense of deja vu about it um, in terms of the finalists. Big climax coming, Andrew. Really appreciate your time and the very best of luck for hopefully the next two games. Thanks very much, Joe. Thanks for your time. Australian coach Andrew McDonald overnight. Australia preparing to play South Africa tomorrow night. The semifinals begin with India and New Zealand. I referenced uh, on Brecky the least surprising headline, but still brazenly astonishing, carried by the Indian Express. Slow pitch expected for Wankiti semifinal on Team India's insistence. They're picking their pitches for the semifinal of a World Cup, which really is just outrageous. Your thoughts, one 736 736 and the 40 Winks temper text, 0433-981116, temper a mattress like no other. The AFL's opening round, so not round one, the opening round, Northern Exposure. Uh, share your views on how that's landed and Australia heading towards this semi-final against South Africa. Footy and crickets right in the hitting zone on this Wednesday morning. Your thoughts, one 736 736 and the 40 Winks temper text, 0433 98-11-16, temper, a mattress like no other. The northern exposure is a little hard to see, perhaps, from the heartland. Uh, we're going to head to Sydney shortly with the Swans Chief Executive, Tom Harley. This is what these four games are put on for. He'll tell us why. Why does it matter at the start of a season to do this? David's in Ballarat. Welcome to you, David. G'day, Jared. Just two things. First of all, um, acknowledge um, Afghanistan's uh, performance Um you say they should have beaten us and, and they lost to Bangladesh in the first, otherwise they would have been in the semis. Um, so they've been quite impressive. Um, and the, I totally share with you the outrageousness of uh, doctoring the pitches to suit themselves. I think that happened with us in the first round. And um, I remember when we played the final here in uh, at the MCG, I mean, uh, the uh, ICC took over the, all the ticketing and, you know, there's no members and things like that. And I think that perhaps the same thing should happen with the um, curating to some extent. I can't believe that. No, no, I, I shouldn't say that. I can believe this absolutely, that this is happening. I think it's outrageous. This is an international tournament. Is prepare the pitches however you like for your, for your home series. Uh, and every nation has the choice to do that if they want to. But this is an international tournament. It hasn't quite felt that way. It's felt like a tournament in India, for India, for India to win. And this is evidently going on. Is It's one thing when you're the host nation of your own test series for the team to influence the preparation for the pitch. It just shouldn't be happening at an international tournament. 
it is just so brazen as to be breathtaking and confirm everything that we know about um, about pitch preparation in India, no matter how much um, how much denial there is of it. It's carried in the Indian Express. I'll read it to you a little later in the morning. Stephen Meetung, surely the ICC, admittedly dominated by India, should direct the ground staff on the pitch they want for the finals and not the Indian board. Those instructions about removing the grass are outrageous. They're every bit of that. Uh, your thoughts around the AFL's opening round? Let me just float this past you. This is Anthony. Good morning, Jared. When you open a packet of biscuits and eat the first biscuit, are you eating the first biscuit or the opening biscuit? <laughs> what are the AFL on about? Treating us like fools for years. Cheers, Anthony. <laughs> All right. So this is getting a resounding thumbs down. I'm a thumbs up on this. Connoisseurs of early 90s TV, that is the unmistakable theme of Northern Exposure. Picture the roaming moose. That's the theme of the AFL's opening rounds. It does require a view to the horizon, what's been attempted here rather than just the perspective of the heartland. There's been a long-held view that the AFL concedes too much momentum to the NRL, starting that season a couple of weeks behind. There's a lag not only for presence in the market, but that there's a lag for place in the conversation. Add to that the realisation that the AFL fixtured poorly in Sydney last year, not rolling out the requisite blockbusters in the feature slots. How Sydney and Collingwood didn't play at the SCG after two record-breaking crowds the year before was an unforced error. So we have ourselves opening round, which I think is at least two-thirds of a good idea. Starting the season a week earlier is a tick for me. Genuine blockbusters fills the bill. There is a leap of logic that people will grapple with, and I totally understand that. Opening round isn't round one, hence the biscuit analogy. But this is also a tick because a split round one would have been a momentum killer, not the jolt start that we want this to be. So four games, television extravaganza, hit the terraces on the Thursday night for Carlton and Richmond and away we go. The nine games have to follow the four rather than a split round. The latter won't make sense early. The latter never makes sense early. So I'm not I'm not accepting that as a, as a setback. After round five last year, St Kilda was on top. Essendon was second. Carlton was fourth en route to 15th. And the Brisbane Lions were eighth. So I don't see that as a detriment. There's plenty of old ladders through the first few weeks that makes absolutely no sense. The hand-picked games are deluxe. Sydney has Melbourne. So you've got a little bit of Brody Grundy rolled into all of that. The Damien Hardwick match, the preliminary finals that offered so much is the Giants will spend the summer searching for those two points against Collingwood. And Carlton fans, will they make the trip again to the Gabba? If they don't sell out these four games, then there's a huge problem. We'll be watching every minute on television. And then I say, we'll hit the terraces for real on the Thursday night when Carlton and Richmond play and Collingwood will unfurl the flag in front of a monstrous crowd on the Friday night for the full celebration. This is done to mine the market in the northern states, which is treated with benign neglect and is ignored in the heartland by fans. But we will get ourselves four cracking matches, which will rate their heads off as we head to the fresh season. It'll be a great week of discussion heading into those games, and then we'll start our rituals where we always do, is nothing's been taken away. These are games that have been added on the front end. I like it. I understand there's a ritual thumbs down because anything new 
goes that way. So make your case. One three hundred seven three six seven three six and the forty winks temper text oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen temper a mattress like no other. This matters particularly in Sydney, and that's where we'll head next. I like this, Glenn from Hobart. Will the AFL get Rob Morrow and the cast on board for their Northern Exposure launch? No one asked for this, and there was nothing wrong with having all teams play in the opening rounds. The AFL need to start listening to the fans again and leave the fixturing gimmicks to the NRL. Northern Exposure, that's how the 2024 AFL season will start. Opening round, not to be confused with round one. The Sydney Swans Chief Executive is Tom Harley. The perspective away from the heartland where all we can see perhaps is what we're missing out on. Hello to you, Tom. Hello, Jared. How are you? I'm well. Is this a good idea? Oh, I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, and in your intro there, it is, it's one of those things that I always feel uh, um, really humbled and privileged to have, uh, I guess, experienced over the past 10 or so years is being involved in our great game, North of the Murray and... Um, uh, what a great opportunity for the code and, and selfishly uh, a great opportunity for the Sydney Swans to open the season on uh, what is the start of our 150th year in the competition, which is extraordinary. What do you expect it could do in, in your marketplace to have Thursday night and Saturday night in Sydney and then further north to have the, the Friday night and Saturday twilight games? Look, I, th- I think there's a number of things, Jared. There's, there's clearly the opportunity um, off the back of, uh, I guess, uh, the NRLs um, foray into into the US and and I know uh, the, the round that we're playing um, there's only the one game on the Thursday night which is up in Newcastle um, so we'll add Sydney to ourselves that night and um, and I think so from that point of view uh, we should be able to capture the audience and I think what, what the AFL have done really well is is look at the the four northern clubs if you like and and look specifically at their opponents and uh, for us it's Melbourne um, you know it's a privilege to open the season and. Uh, we played our first game as the Sydney Swans in '82. That was the last time we actually had opening uh, opening round against the Demons, and that was Barassi's famous quote, which Healy off, Ellingworth on, and um, and we played them in round one back in uh, 1897. So there's some really nice history uh, between the Swans and the Dees. So did you get a say in uh, in who you would like your opponent to have been? No, not 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 per se. Um, we were uh, obviously um, consulted with regard to the concept. Um, I mean, our steer was really, look, if we're going to do it, let's do it big. Um, and that, 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 that includes the four clubs. And, um, you know, for the Giants also to play Collingwood to, to I guess, to relive that, uh, that, that famous preliminary final from the, um, from the season just gone uh, provides an opportunity. And we've just encouraged not only our fans here in Sydney to, uh, to fill out the SCG, but what a great opportunity for travelling fans to come up as well. And um, when the SCG is full, and the last time we played there was against the Demons, we had 42,000. The place was absolutely rocking, so we'd be hoping and expecting for similar results for round one next year. Is there a recognition that maybe in recent times the fixture, particularly in Sydney, hasn't been all that it might have been? Yeah, look, I think it is, and there's nothing wrong with um, with uh, reflecting and recognising, and um, you know, people. A lot of people typically look down on concessions. I'm not one for that. I'm one to always look and go forward. And uh, the reality is Sydney at that time of year is, as you know, Jared, a, a hotly contested sporting landscape. The NRL starts a couple of weeks earlier, as does Super Rugby too. So um, as an AFL club, we sit here waiting, watching our competitors get a bit of a runway um, start uh, on us. Um, and often we actually play away. Uh, in round one. So what a great opportunity for the club. What a great opportunity for the code. And 
as I say, we'll be certainly celebrating the kickstart of our 150th year as a, as a football club. Do you think that that is lost a bit on the Heartland Victorian fans? So you've obviously uh, lived a long time in this market as well. Do you think there's a lack of recognition as to uh, we've got to roll the sleeves up and compete early? Yeah, possibly. And, and the, the lack of recognition is from a, I don't think, a position of, of malice, I think it's probably you don't know what you don't know. And, and certainly before I moved up to Sydney, I didn't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a rusted on um, AFL person uh, in New South Wales and, uh, you know, it's competitive. And if we want to be truly a national game, um, uh, we've got to be prepared to shine the national spotlight on, on areas outside of Victoria. Uh, Gather Round's a great example in Adelaide and, and this is just another extension of really spreading the coast wings across all parts of Australia. So the, the attention that you'll garner in the market and then the potential, given it is a, a long weekend in Victoria, to have fans on the road for it and a television yeah. extravaganza, are they, are they the sort of the major selling points of it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think even before the game um, or the, the opening round starts on Thursday night at the SCG, um, we will absolutely be working with the AFL on how do we how do we make some some uh, some some waves in the lead up um, to the start of the season? So I know we, you know, the re- reality is we've become accustomed to the big opening game on Thursday night of the MCG. I reckon you could go without advertising um, <laughs> lead up to that, and you'll get a hundred thousand to watch Carlton Richmond. I'm sure that'll be the case the following week. So let's shift our focus and really invest in the market and the market development up here because. There are tailwinds, and uh, you know, as a, as a club, both the Sydney sides, Sydney sides played good finals footy, and uh, our W team we're seeing now with you know with concerted effort um, investing in the promotion of the game. Um, uh, Sydney side has turned up, so uh, no, we're looking forward to that, Jerry, for sure. Are you expecting the following week to then come to Melbourne and be the other half of the billing on Collingwood's big night to unfurl the flag? Uh, not not hundred percent sure on that one, Jerry. That'll uh, fixture obviously. Uh, um, is rolled out tomorrow. Um, but look, you know, we, we, we've got a significant base and significant history in Melbourne. And um, if there was an opportunity to play at the MCG early in the year against some of those big Melbourne clubs, we'd certainly take that too. The changes in your, your football department, just as we finish off, Tom. So Leon Cameron's become the, the GM of footy. Um, it's such an experienced figure within uh, within league circles. His coaching career, we've benefited enormously from having him as part of crunch time since that finished. And Mark McVeigh steps in to replace Don Pike. Is um, the, the manoeuvring there? Do you, do you do you feel like that's panned out well for you? Yeah, I think it has. I mean, we, we're fortunate that um, our, our current GM Charlie Gardner is staying with the club. Um, you know, his family's from Melbourne. He's, he, his family's given the club five years, and he'll continue to be involved. Uh, based out of Melbourne, and um, Leon, I think he, by his own admission, the, the 12 months experience that he's had in, in managing an academy program, 700 kids, um, significant investment, staff, and stakeholder management was probably that final tool in his kit bag to uh, to complement a very well-rounded CV for a GM of uh, AFL football role. Um, so happy, really, really pleased that we can slide Leon across, and, and we know what Mark McVeigh's done as well. Um, so we've got to get to work on backfilling the academy now, Jared. But um, but as far as the men's football program, uh, uh, we're we're off and running. Started yesterday, so we're looking forward to season 2024 with uh, with great optimism. Good stuff, Tom. Thank. You. Oh, will, will we be right? Will will we get through the leap of logic that there's an opening round followed by a round one? Can we? Will we be able to navigate that? 
Uh, I would have thought I would have thought opening round is round one, but um, smarter people than me can make those decisions. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be uh, looking with interest as to how it uh, how it's all referenced in the fixture. Tom, great to great to get your view from north of the Murray. No worries, Jared. All the best. Thanks. Good good on you, Tom Harley, the chief executive of the Sydney Swans. That's why it matters where it's been staged. The northern exposure. So debate away. One three hundred seven three six seven three six to have your say. And the forty winks temper text is oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Temper a mattress like no other. Thumbs up or down on the opening round? Steve's in Melton. Where are you, Steve? I'm thumbs up on the idea, thumbs down on the locations. Sydney do not turn up to anything, including their own sport. No, just forget about the place. Play the the two Sydney teams there, their 11 home games each, and that's it. Don't put any more money into it. They do not turn up. They do not watch our sport. They just don't care. It is a waste of time up there. Brisbane, that's a great game. The other one, oh, well, you know, it would be okay to watch on TV, I guess. <laughs> Good on you, Steve. Uh, they do turn up at the SCG. Is that those the recent crowds, Sydney Collingwoods broke records, Sydney Melbourne late in the season was a beauty. I think if you pitch this right, it should sell out at the SCG. And the Giants need to start to create these. I, I defer to Jared Healy on these matters is those crowds at Giants Stadium are a concern so you've got to give them a major event to get things kick-started and this is part of that so a little catchment of of your thoughts one three hundred seven three six seven three six. the AFL is resembling the WWE each year we will get a cage match soon a bit of WWE scheduling would go well Hi, this round zero released by the AFL is just horrible. No wonder it hit at 7am on Instagram. The AFL is reacting to the NRL again. First, the AFL copies gather round and now we have round zero. The fact the AFL can't bring themselves to call this round one encapsulates everything wrong with the AFL. Vic Bias runs strong. It's up there with refusing to rename the VFL. This actually stretches beyond Vic Bias and is upsetting most people in Victoria. So you get hit both ways in these matters. It's not the first biscuit or the opening biscuit. It's called Biscuit Zero. David from Glen Waverley. Opening rounds. Not to be confused with round one. Feature start to the season in the northern markets. Bit of northern exposure. Sydney and Melbourne on the Thursday night at the SCG. Brisbane Lions and Carlton at the Gabba on Friday night. Saturday, Twilight, Gold Coast and Richmond, followed by the Giants and Collingwood at Giants Stadium. A little encapsulation of your thoughts. There's a couple of calls. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. It's not anything new that gets a thumbs down. The Carlton versus Richmond game being their second games takes a huge amount from its spectacle. Collingwood playing a random game in GWS with none of its fans getting to go for its first game after a historic 16th flag is a huge momentum killer. Also, it takes so much from these games that would have been so much bigger if not for this extra round. I'll, I'll have a little wager with you that it won't detract anything from when those two games are staged in round one and the size of the crowds and the electricity 
that surrounds them. I thought the Northern exposure was happening because the NRL was playing in the US, but there's games in Newcastle, Gold Coast and Sydney that weekend, along with the game in Melbourne. So the AFL has just allowed the Storm to have a free leg up. That's Tim in Adelaide. Why is it the teams that featured in finals end up starting their season a week earlier? New CEO, more gimmicks, nothing changes. Of course, Harley would love it. It's a free hit for them. How about a charity round for Victoria one year? Sharon in Glen Iris. I sort of feel like footy's okay in Victoria. It's the frontiers where it's a bit more of a challenge. Damien Fitch string gimmicks, Jared, like Anzac Day. Carlton Richmond round one, showdowns, derbies, those gimmicks. The league lives off gimmicks. Every type of round available that they do. I think this opening round is good. We're the biggest game in the country and this will prove it. Tell me how Gold Coast versus Richmond is a genuine blockbuster. That's Aaron from Caram Downs. If you haven't been following the news for the last six months, Aaron. Damien Hardwick. Damien Hardwick. Boring. Most games are predictable because of the home ground advantage. Oh, my goodness. Misery guts on a Wednesday. I reckon these games will be just fine. The draw and its inequality is a massive flaw and a complete erosion to the integrity of the AFL. Get it better. Don't play around with more. Jared, don't mind the opening round idea, albeit convoluted, concocted grudge matches here. Can only hope we lose a mid-season bye because of this. Uh, Renee is in Heidelberg. Hello, Renee. Good morning. All these misery guts people, I don't know what they're going on about. Look, I'm a Collingwood member and still very proud of the win that we had. Look, to me, it makes absolutely no difference. The season all pans out. Like, as if we're going to get less crowds, then Collingwood pulled an average of, what, 70,000 over the season. That is not going to change. Um, I'm excited. I think it's adding something new. And the other thing I wanted to add is I will never, ever, ever forget how COVID made me feel and how I couldn't get to go to games. Um, and it was awful. So I'm just wrapped that we've got such a good, we've got such a good game. I can go to the games and I just, I'll just bring it on. I'm, I think they've done a great job, the AFL. Terrific, Renee. We'll enjoy our footy together. Uh, Zach is in Sydney. Welcome, Zach. Hello, Jared. I think people need to grow up with this fixturing over in Victoria. You don't understand how different the New South Wales market is for AFL here in Sydney. This is such a good idea. How was it said that the Swans made the grand final in 2022 and you had to open up, we had to open up our season on the Gold Coast away in round one? That's momentum killer. I'll be there in March with my friends watching the Swans take on Melbourne for the opening night of this next season. I think that people just need to grow up. And move on. It's going to be great here for New South Wales and Queensland. The market's different. They'll be a bonanza on television a week before the season would typically start. So it's not that something's being taken away. We're actually being given a little bit extra. Zach, enjoy it. Hopefully it has the impact that it needs to in those northern markets. Mick's in Northcote. Hello to you, Mick. I'm well. I absolutely love it, and I'm going to turn it into something bigger than a bonanza. I'm going to go to Sydney, catch up with a mate who's a Melbourne member, go watch his game. Next morning, head off to Brisbane to watch my beloved baggers take on the Lions. After that, I'll stay around, hang out with my family that's up there, and then head back down for Carlton Richmond. Oh, Mick, I love it. You're going to take it all in. Yep. Uh, I have to organise it as well, but so be it. Good stuff. Well, you've got plenty of time to organise it, Mick. 
That's terrific. <laughs> you might need a hand here or there. Good man. A couple more off the text. Gavin from Albury. I'm a big thumb, thumbs up for the opening round. I wonder if it will make the NRL regret their Vegas holiday. The only worry I have is my Blues have a hard start at the Gabba where we struggle. Hopefully we can break the hoodoo and kickstart the season on a great note. And Joe from Mooney Ponds is the other way. I totally disagree with the 2024 opener. These are not blockbusters. Opening round one earlier before the NRL starts should look like this. Tigers versus Blues, Thursday, minimum 90,000. Collingwood unfurling the flag Friday against Melbourne, 95,000 plus. And you won't even get that in the four games in Queensland and New South Wales. And while you take Melbourne, it should have been Essendon. Then you'd have the four biggest Victorian clubs. P.S. All for having big clubs playing in this state, but not opening round. AFL have got this wrong. That's Joe in Mooney Pond. So a cross-section of your thoughts, more no's than yeses. I'm a yes. I think this is two-thirds of a good idea. I mostly love it. I think it'll be a, a nice jolt into our season, and then we'll be in the terraces at the MCG in no time. Each year ahead of the draft, we just have a play with what's in a draft. Go back through. So there's all the subjective, if you recast the draft, what would you take? But where were the actual gems. If you take a view that it's all about the first 10 picks, well, historically, that's really not the case. And you can chime through the last 10 years and dig a little deeper. We do that with Peter Blucher, who's a great footy man in Brisbane. So we should ask him about opening round as well. Blucher, it's great to have you on the program again. Morning, Jared. How are you, mate? I'm well. What do you think of opening round? I think people should remember that as much as they don't not like it in Victoria, it is a national competition. And I think uh, with the rugby league out of the country, I, I think it's a fantastic way to start. And, and people up here are very excited about it, I promise you. Yeah, will it be a, a good jolt in those northern markets to have some clear air and four four big games? Oh, no question. I mean, the Gabba will be sold out, Vossi coming back with Carlton um, again. So um, it, it will be fantastic. And I'm sure, you know, Sydney will be the same. Um, I guess the one question mark, Gold Coast. But, I mean, it's if you're ever going to get a big crowd, it's... it's uh, it's Damon Harbuck's first game as coach, isn't it? So I think it's going to be an absolute cracker up here at a, at a time when when rugby league's uh, out of the country. All right, Peter Blucher. Now, each year we, we delve into these drafts. I love doing this exercise. Everyone's got a subjective view about what old drafts look like, but you keep all the numbers for us. So we're going to get work backwards through the last 10 drafts, um, and there's some fantastic detail in here. So start us off with the 2022 National draft. I must admit, I wonder why I do this. But anyway, <laughs> 106 draftees, first time last year, only 33 played, which oh. shows that you know it's still a tough time. That was such um, an interesting number. Only 33 of the 106 played. Yeah, and it's that's low compared to previous years. Um, which you know, I'm not sure what you take out of that. Um, but no, a really, really, including four of the top 20 didn't play, which. That doesn't happen at all. I mean, the the, uh, the guys that didn't play were, were Jed Buslinger, pick 13, Matthew Jefferson, pick 15, uh, Ed Allen, and then Jacob Constanti at Sydney. Of course, his claim to fame is he was involved with the Callum Mills uh, incident. Oh, but, um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but we've got plenty of quality uh, out of the guys that did play. Um, Matthias Philippa was pick 10, and Harry Cheezer will pick three, played every game, and, and Max McElhenney at Adelaide. I don't know if I said that right. Pick 17, missed just the one game. Will Ashcroft was on track to play them all until he got hurt in round 18. And uh, 
So, I mean, uh, so it, it's that um, it's an interesting year though too because um, while uh, while she's will end up winning the uh, winning the Rising Star um, and and had quite an extraordinary season is his six hundred and twenty two possessions uh, ranks third for all first year players. Uh, since the introduction of the draft in 1986, and, and that's that's a quite a staggering statistic for for just a, a teenager. Um, Collingwood Scott Russell in 1990 has the list had 664. Nick Dacos 644 um, in in uh, last year in his first year. Walsh and Toby, Sam Walsh and Toby Green ranked fourth and fifth in that area. So um, you know, McElhenney, um sorry, uh, Shizzle had a sensational year. Um, Won the Rising Star from Ashcroft, but but some of the other numbers suggest otherwise. Ashcroft polled ten votes in the Brownlow compared to Sheezel's three, and ten in itself is quite a significant effort. Um, given that of all first year players since two thousand, only only three have been ahead of him. Tim Kelly polled thirteen votes in two hundred two thousand eighteen with Geelong. James Podzielli. Podsy Adley, of all people, in 2010, polled 13 at Geelong. I bet you didn't know that, even as a Geelong <laughs> man. And, uh, and Dacos has 11 votes in 2022. So so he did really, really well, Cheesley, uh, sorry, Ashcroft in that stage, and he only played 18 of the games. He topped the coaches' votes, um, whereas Cheesley, though, he was, he was quite uh, significant in the club award. He was only a second player in the whole draft era to win a club best and fairest in his first season on. The only other one to do so was Darren Mead at Port Adelaide in 1997. Of course, he was already a sample premiership player and was and was 25. Yeah, so first year best and fairest winners. And prior to, yeah, so Darren Mead is a 25-year-old. And prior to that, you're talking Craig Bradley. Yeah, and he was, and he was young by then standards. He was only 20. Uh, and prior to that, prior to that, there were, there were, since 1981, there have been six others. Um, Bradley, Brian Royal. Peter Keel at St Kilda, Morris Rioli Junior, uh, sorry Senior, uh, Mark Williams and Kenny Hunter in 1981. So it's not something that happens often, and it's certainly not something that happens often these days. And have we already seen a couple of draft bargains reveal themselves? Well, I reckon we have. The, the, the two leading goal kickers out of the out of last year's, oh sorry, out of the 22 draft were both um, were, were both uh, at, um, uh, at St Kilda. Um, Sorry, we're, 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 sorry, Caminiti and uh, was was a very good player at St Kilda and was right up with the goal king and Chin Cotter at uh, at Carlton. They're both SSP players, so they were real value because they, they played a lot of football. Richmond's um, Tyler Young was rookie pick, twenty six, played nineteen games uh, for uh, after being drafted as a twenty four year old exercise science student. And one of the great stories of the year was was James O'Donnell, um, Simon's son, Cat B rookie. Debuted 35 days after signing a contract with the club, and after two VFL games, he played 12 games and finished the season really strong. So once again, there's always a couple of diamonds. You just got to find them. All right. So the year before, and this is going to be known as the Nick Dacos draft, the 2021 edition. Oh, there's no question of that, and we, we wonder that he was taken behind Horn Francis, Sam Darcy, and Finn Callahan, and yet. He, he uh, has played most games out of the 2021 draft. He's ahead of Nick Martin at, at Essendon. Most possessions, most votes in the Brownlow. He's the only All-Australian. He's the only Premiership player. Uh, and with two top 10 finishes in the best and fairest, he matches the, the effort uh, of, Mick Mar- of, uh, of Nick Martin at Essendon. But I guess it's interesting because um, he was a, a highly fancy pick, probably the best player in the draft. 
whereas Martin was a, was a an SSP, a supplementary selection, and he's been sort of the, the number two standout. He's um, he said second to uh, Dacos for games, second to him for possessions, and and has two top ten best and finish best and fairest finishes. Um, I guess one of the really one of the great the pickups has been Jai Amos, who finished fourth in the Rising Star um, in his in that year. Um, has jumped to the top of the goal kicking list for the twenty one draftees um, after uh, after you know a pretty a quiet start in his first year. You got some honourable mentions. We have. I mean, I think you know there was a lot a lot of talk this year about um, uh, about Mitch Owens who picked thirty three in the draft. He's 12th for games, 5th for goals, 12th for possessions and was 3rd in the Rising Star. Nasiah Wanganui Miller, 3rd for games, 3rd for possessions and 4th for Brownlow votes. And Brisbane's Darcy Wilmot, um, he's, had, he's played 29 games in a row without a miss since his debut in the 22 uh, finals. His 6th finals is a, is a high for the draft uh, out, of, out of his draft and finished 10th in the Lions best and fairest uh, the interesting ones, there's a couple, there's a couple where the jewellery is still out, I reckon, out of this draft. Um, Sam Darcy, and we all know he's going to be a very good player, but he's only played the seven games. At pick 12, Josh Sin went to Port Adelaide. He's only played the four games. And, and we'll watch with interest Tom Brown at, at Richmond just played one game. He played the last, debut in the last game of the year. So, um, once again, talent coming from all uh, always through the draft. And Nick Martin so stands as a clear bargain, but also pick 47, Marcus Windhager. Yeah, well, St Kilda have done really well out of this draft. Yeah. You know, with uh, with um, Windhager, Wanganui Miller, who was pick eleven, and Owens at thirty three. I mean, a, a good draft can really help set set your club up, and uh, and I think that the Saints are going to do very well out of this one. The twenty twenty draft, you've dubbed the Errol Golden draft. Well, as I said, if if twenty one was Dacos, this has to be um this has to be uh, Errol Golden draft. He's pick thirty two, and yet he ranks number one for games. Having played 67, he's number one for possessions, a long way ahead of John Newcomb, and we'll get to him in a second. Uh, he's fourth for goals, not that far behind uh, Ollie Henry, and he's first for votes um, after 27 votes this year to finish equal fourth. He's the only 2020 draftee to win All Australian. He's the only draftee from that year to win a club best and fairest, and he's rewritten the Swans' record books. Quite a staggering, really. Polled 12 times in the draft last year, which is a club uh, record for the Swans, more than more more times than any other player in the club's history. He posted the third highest single season vote tally by a Swans player to finish equal fourth in the Brownlow. Only Herbie Matthews, <laughs> uh, you'd know him in 1940, <laughs> and uh, and Graham Teasdale in 1977 have polled more votes for the Swans um, and is the only 2020 draftee to win a club best and fairest. One, uh, the youngest in 43 years after David Ackley in 1980. And he only, he only won by a lazy 257 votes or about a third, third, a third from uh, from Nick Blakey. So yes. quite astonishing season from Merrill Golden. So pick thirty two, and then the other bargain comes in the mid season draft when Jai Newcomb goes pick two there. Yeah, well he uh, he, he debuted in round thirteen. He's only played seven games in his in his first season, and yet he still ranks number two for possessions from from that draft uh, overall, and and has a game percentage average. Slightly ahead of Goulden. He's number two in votes after 18 votes this year, equal fifth in games, and has twice been runner up in the uh, in the uh, in the Hawthorne Best and Ferris. So he's going to be around for some time. We've got premiership players who have emerged from that draft. Yeah, we have. Well, Jake, Jake Bowie at Melbourne was the first one. Um, Bo McCreary and Jack Ginnam uh, last year, or this year, sorry, for Collingwood. Uh, 
Um, the only three, Ginneman's an interesting one. I mean, his numbers stack up quite well. But I think Essendon will really look back or look at this draft as the chance for, to make a difference. We've seen Archie Perkins uh, play, play a lot of good footy, second for games, third for possessions, seventh for goals. They've also had Nick Cox and Zach Reed, who haven't seen, haven't seen as much of, and mid-season rookie draft pickup Sam Durham. So they similarly have got four players who potentially should be key parts of their club for the next uh, you know, long period. And the other category that I thought was interesting here was the leading goal kickers out of this draft so far. The leading goal kickers? Yeah, well, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I guess we see why uh, Geelong was so keen to pry Ollie Henry out of um, out of Geelong, out of uh, Collingwood, because he leads the goal kicking from this draft with 69. Um, second is was the number one pick, Jamara Hagen, Hagen, who has 60 goals. And Jack Ginnivan is third at 58, so um, you know he's, he's done a lot right and he's done a few things wrong. So, but he's but he's statistically played very well. Logan McDonald, who's going to be such an important player for Sydney, is fourth at, at fifty six uh, with fifty six goals. He was picked four, and then Gould, Gould in his fifth at fifty four goals. So, um, an interesting cross section of, of goals that, uh, coming out of that group. The deep dive as to what's in a draft ahead of next week's event Monday and Tuesday nights. Best and fairest, Brownlow Polars, Premiership players, all Australians. Peter Blucher has done the work. We're into the 2019 draft next. Melbourne's weather, partly cloudy at top of 20 for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. What's in a draft? Peter Blucher keeps all sorts of fantastical numbers. We're at the 2019 draft. Blucher, I thought the most interesting fact here was that only 47 of the 93 first-time draftees are still in the AFL system. So this is 2019. And 25 of the 93 didn't play at all. I think it shows it's a very, very tough system. A lot of people, you know, they take two or three or four years out of their life to have a crack at it and finish two or three or four years behind their schoolmates. So, yeah, no, it's not an easy caper. And, of course, the big one, I guess, is Fisher, Fisher Mackesy picked six to Adelaide. Only played the ten games before retiring. So, yeah, as much as there's uh, there's the happy stories out of each year's draft, there's there's the others that are not so happy. There are plenty of stars here. Who are you most drawn toward? Well, the interesting one was remember Melbourne uh, traded up to get up uh, get their second pick up in this in this draft. They had Luke Jackson at three behind the two Gold Coast boys. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Raul and Anderson. They got Pickett at twelve, and some said they paid overs, but Four years on, he ranks number one for games out of the 200, 2019 draft and he's clear at number one for goals so, and he's a premiership player. So I guess they've been more than vindicated, but there have been a bunch of them. And Anderson and Raul at the Gold Coast you know, have certainly proved their worth. Anderson's uh, picked two, his third for games, second for possessions and number one for votes after finishing ninth this year. Uh, Raul, of course, remember, started 3-3-3 three, three, three Brownlow votes in his second, third and fourth game and was injured in game five and missed the rest of the year. He's worked himself back up the order quite nicely now. Um, Caleb Sarong was pick seven. He's the only All-Australian out of the class of 2019. He's fourth for games, leads the possessions in second in votes, and won the Fremantle BNF this year. Uh, Will Day was pick 13, uh, is the only other BNF winner out of this draft. Tom Green, pick 10, uh, has has twice has, has finished second and third in the GDL uh, WS uh, BNF and was All-Australian squad this year. Jackson's done well uh, in his trade from um, from Melbourne to Fremantle, so plenty of talent um, and a real a real bargain, I think, in, in the rookie draft. Kadeen Coleman at thirty seven was a value plus, and his nine finals is a draft high. But Brad Close, rookie pick twelve, is sixth for games, fourth for goals, tenth for possessions, and a twenty twenty two premiership player at the Cats. So 
he's done really, really well as well. And you're going to throw Chad Warner in at 39, second in the Sydney Best and Fairest in the All-Australian squad. So they're good bargains, aren't they? Kitty Coleman, 37, Chad Warner, 39, and Brad Close in uh, in the rookie round 12 position. And you've got a couple in the jury out. Well, interesting one. Pick five was Dylan Stevens, who, of course, has been traded from Sydney to North Melbourne. He really hasn't quite lived up to such a high draft pick. And the interesting one, Cooper Stevens was pick 16 to Geelong, traded to Hawthorne, did not play, delisted with a promise to redraft him. If he hadn't started at Geelong, you'd think that Geelong were probably tracking and plotting and planning to take him back, but I guess that's not going to happen. But for a pick 16, uh, he's, um, he's probably overdue to deliver something. The 2018 draft, this is one of the great modern tales of a player overlooked for so many who is crafting his own records, and this is Callum Wilkie. Yeah, pick three in the rookie draft after 78 players have taken the national draft and there were four state league concession picks. So uh, right down the pecking order. He debuted in round one, 2019. Five years on, he's played 109 games without a miss. Um, seventh for most consecutive games from debut um, in history, led by uh, Jared Crouch's 194 for Sydney. Um, Crouch, Gibson, Dick Taylor in the 1920s for Melbourne, David Mundy, Stephen Wallace, Jack Redden, and then Wilkie. Um, as I said, he's uh, he leads the class of 2018 for games. One of four players to win All-Australian uh, with Connor Rosie, who was picked five, Sam Walsh picked one, and picked 12, Zach Butters. So he really is the odd one out with those three superstars. And even as a defender, he ranks fifth for possessions, finished second in the best and fairest in the field of the last two years. Um, going to be a really, really good player for a really long time. And those who lead the rest of the categories are, are high picks, aren't they? Yeah, they are. The, the King brothers um, sit one and two on the goal-kicking list. Sam Walsh, uh, far and away, the leading position winner um, from Barley Smith and Connor Rosie. Interesting, you know, Barley Smith seems to have fallen back a little bit. Walsh, Rosie and Butters and Smith lead the, lead the, um, lead the Browner votes well and, well and truly for this draft. Bargains? Uh, well, I mean, a lot's been said this year in this trade period recently about Lockie Schultz. Yep. Um, he's the boom trade period. He ranks 11th for games and third for goals, despite a kick, playing only seven games and kicking four goals in his first season. He was pick 57. Um, Tom Atkins, rookie pick 11, uh, leads the class of 2018 for finals with 10, including the 22 flag, third for games, seventh possessions. He finished second in the Geelong BNF this year. And, and even just from a Queensland perspective, Bailey Scott, father-son pick, could have gone to Gold Coast or Geelong, went to North, played 78 games um, uh, for just nine wins and one draw. But he's finished third in the North BNF two years in a row uh, to provide a bit of a, a rare shining light uh, for the Kangas. And all the different drafts have their own story. So Callum Wilkie, pick three in the rookie draft. You've mentioned the high picks from the draft. And then there's the mid-season draft and the Marlion Pickett story. Well, the poster boy for that will always be Marlon Pickett. Of course, he debuted in the grand final uh, for the Tigers after being picked uh, pick thirteen, pick fourteen. Sorry, in the um, in the mid-season draft, and it, it is interesting to look back and see who who was taken ahead of him that in that in that mid-season draft. Josh DeLuca went to Carlton, played six games. Mitch Reardon went to Gold Coast, didn't play. Kyle Dunkley went to Melbourne, played five games. Michael Noel to City didn't play. Lachlan Hosey to North played five games. Ryan Gardner's been a good pickup, played 53 games at the Dogs um, after four years without a game at, at Geelong. Will Snelling played 64 games, just been delisted. Jack Mayo at St Kilda didn't play. Cam Sutcliffe played nine games at Port. 
couple of passes, Dylan O'Reilly at Fremantle, and then at 13, Richmond took uh, Marlene Pickett, and just behind him, Johnny Noble, who played 92 games in a row from debut yes. before being dropped for the finals this year. So, yeah, you can find them anywhere uh, if you if you dig deep enough. Yeah, so consecutive picks, Pickett and Noble, who have played such roles for Richmond and Collingwood. To the 2017 draft, we will go next. Flight Setter's big red sale is on with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. Book now to save big. We're deep diving into the past 10 drafts. 2017 is next. Lockie Weller or Andrew Brayshaw? That has haunted a little... Tim Kelly, this is the Brody Mytrek draft, rookie 22. Peter Blucher will take us through it next. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and Host Plus. We're trawling backdrafts with Peter Blucher. You've got to know your history. You've got to know what's in them. There were three big questions out of 2017 or three big topics. The first was Lockie Weller or Andrew Brayshaw and the manoeuvring that went on here, Pete, which doesn't look that great in hindsight. No, it doesn't. And, and, I mean, Gold Coast was stiff because Lockie Weller has had two new reconstructions and hasn't you know, been able to be what he could be because he is a very good player. And uh, and Andrew Brayshaw at pick two has been a superstar. I have some sympathy for them as a Queenslander. They, they'd lost a lot of players. They needed a, a bit of a statement signing. He was a Gold Coast Academy kid who wanted to come home. Um, they took a punt. If it was Josh Shackey, not Andrew Brayshaw, they'd be looking looking sweet. But as it turned out, Bray... Brayshaw's been a star. Equal fourth for games, only a couple back. Uh, number two for possessions, just behind the leader. Second for Brownlow votes. Um, and he's one of only four players from this draft to win all Australian selection. And and in the last four years, he's gone third, third, second, first in the Dockers BNF. So he's been a superstar. Uh, Gold Coast, a little bit unlucky. Uh, they were trying to do the right thing. The Tim Kelly pick. So this plays out in real time and then it parlays into Jeremy Cameron. Oh, he picked uh, a 24-year-old electrician playing in the waffle, overlooked a million times over by every club. Six years on, he's the number one possession winner out of his draft. Number three for games, just two behind Fritch and Majek. Number one for a Brownlow vote. Uh, he's uh, finished all over the best and fairest at, uh, at West Coast after finishing second twice at Geelong. He uh, finished fifth in the Brownlow in 19. He's one of only four players from his draft year to win All-Australian, as you say. Then they traded him back to West Coast for, t- for two first-round picks, which was which two-thirds of the asking price for Jeremy Cameron. So I think that's one that uh, that uh, Stephen Wells at Geelong got pretty right. And this is Brody Mycheck. So where's he? Pick 22 in the rookie draft. Yeah, from Bernie, Tasmania via Port Adelaide, uh, via Port Melbourne. Um, Maribyrnong Park. You know, he's been all over the place. He was overlooked uh, six years in a row in the draft oh. um, before finally getting a pick. But uh, since he's come in, um, as I said, halfway through or late in, in the rookie draft, he's played 126 uh, games for 212 goals, equal first for games, outright first for goals, first for finals at 14. And he's only missed six games since his debut. And he's been Collingwood's leading goal kicker five years in a row, including a premiership side. I'd say he's a valuable rookie pick 22 yeah. as well. The draft class is big for Brisbane. They get Rayner at one, Zach Bailey at 15, Brandon Stasevich at 18, and Jack Payne at 54. Who are the bargains here? Well, I think that there are a couple of bargains. I mean, Liam Baker, rookie pick 18, uh, is the only dual premiership player out of that draft. Um, Brian Myers, pick 57, leads the... Is, so has played 13 uh, finals to one only behind my check. Has been a very good player, uh, particularly in the last 12 months. James Warple at 45, started with a boom, won the 19 best and fairest, fell away, but he came come back to his best this year. And Sammy Taylor was picked 28, 
all Australian fullback in 2022 would have been at but for injury this year. So, yeah, a couple of golden gems down the draft again, as it always seems to be. 2016. So this would be the tale of picks one, two, and three, if not for the boy from South Barwon. Yeah, this is a story that just keeps getting better and better, isn't it? Um, um, Tom Stewart, pick 40. He's won five All-Australian Blazers, almost as many as the rest of the draft class of 216 combined. They have six between them. Luke Ryan, Shai Bolton, Tyson Stengel, Josh Dacos, Mick Larkey and Tim English. Um, so he, he's just been unbelievable. Um, I think leading into the draft, most clubs seem to think it would be McCluggage, um, uh, McCluggage, Taranto and McGrath in any order. Uh, Brisbane got third pick and took McCluggage. They would have taken him at number one. Uh, if they had the choice. So, um, as you say, one, two, and three, they've all become very, very good players. Can you can you differentiate them? McCluggage in the best and fairest is a pretty good indicator. Well, he's finished uh, top three in the Brisbane best and fairest the last five years. So, you know, while um, Taranto's won two, one at each club, one at the Giants and one at, at Richmond, uh, Stewart, and Stewart's won, he's won two. And Simp- Jai Simpkins won two. Um I think the, for pure consistency, McCluggage has just been outstanding. There's a ruck bargain here, which is another of, of Brisbane's key pieces. Yeah, Oscar McInerney was picked 35 in the rookie draft. He was playing in the reserves at Casey at the time. He now ranks 11th for games from this draft class of, two, uh, of 2017 at 126 and as one of the more durable and reliable uh, ruckmen, ruckmen in the competition after such a late pickup. And there's a there's a forgotten man, one of, one of the tragic recent stories of footy here as well. Yeah, we forget. It's pick 13 all the way back in 2016. West Coast drafted Daniel Venables. In his 15th game, he won a premiership in 2018, played only six more games before being forced out of the game with recurring concussion issues. So uh, an early pick taken from the game way too early. The 2015 draft. So this is the story of two. Clayton Oliver High and Tom Papley Low. Well, Clayton Oliver's had more than his share of negative press of late, but the numbers for this draft are quite staggering. Statistically, he's just a machine. Pick four behind Wietering, Shacky and Mills. Um, he leads the possession list with 4,725, almost a third more than Darcy Parrish, who's second best, and fifth, and he's t- almost twice, half as many again as Callum Mills, uh, and that despite playing only 15 games this year. He's, he's had more possessions than any player from the draft the year before. <laughs> so he spotted them 12 months, which yep. is quite staggering. Um, and, and look, his, his numbers are just outstanding. He, he's had uh, four best and fairest wins and a second. Wiedering, uh with two at Carlton is the only other player with more than one. He's a three-time All-Australian. Kerno with two is the only other one with more than one. And with 116 Brownlow votes, he streets the field with Parrish um, at 49, Mills 47 and Josh Dunkley at 25 the next three on the list. So his numbers are just outstaggering. And yet for all of that, the guy who leads the games and the goals out of the 215 draft, Tommy Papley, has taken pick 14 in the rookie draft. So uh, 70, 70 players taken before him? Uh, sounds about right, mate. Yeah, that's yeah. 71st time draft. He's ahead of him. Yeah, and 13 others in the rookie draft. So he was right down the pecking order and now – you know, the, the rascal that he is, the SEN track specialist, yes, <laughs> as he is. Um, he, he's just he's a ripper, Tommy Papley, and he has delivered uh, in spades from, from a late pick. And there are premierships galore out of this draft. There are indeed. And Nathan Broad and uh, and Daniel Rowley have three apiece. 
and so they had the list completely. Josh Dunkley's played in grand finals for two clubs uh, out of the same draft, but picked 24, which is unusual, uh, and has played most finals. And uh, one of the great stories too, Oleg Markov. Um, 12 months ago, he was delisted by Gold Coast, having played just 11 games in a side that finished 12th. He's now Collingwood Premiership player. So, um, you know, it doesn't have to come immediately for uh, for uh, for anyone who could, who could depending on where they're taking the draft. And Josh Shackey at pick two. He's he's still whirring away, but but he hasn't um he hasn't got the career of those around him. Well, he went in as, as the second player in the draft. He now ranks 38 for games played out of this draft. But as you say, he's still picking away, and, and there's a good number that aren't. All right, we've got two drafts to go. The drafts of the past 10 years at 2014. There's no question who the best player here is, but Peter Blucher, this is the draft of the rookie and the late pick thereafter. I guess it does say to, to young kids who perhaps get overlooked in the draft, in the national draft and, and go in the rugby draft that all is not lost because there are 18 premiership players out of the 2014 draft. Only five of them were taken in the top 24. We've got Lambert and Castagna at Richmond and Jaden Short. Um, they have eight premierships between them. They were all rookies. Ivan Soldo was a rookie. Mason Cox was a rookie. Um, and then... Um, so, the, so the early picks were, were Christian Petrarca, two, Brayshaw, three, Dugowie, five, Duggan, 11, and Lever, 14. They are premiership players. But after that, it's Toby McLean at 26, Braden Maynard at 30, Alex Neal Bullen, 40, Caleb Daniel, 46, Ed Langan, 54, Zane Cordy, 62, Dan Butler, 67, and Billy Frampton, 84. So, um, you know, premierships can come to anyone who, regardless of where they're drafted. Christian Petrarca, he's he's establishing himself. Probably the best measure is the Brownlow votes, where he leads uh, with 98 ahead of Jack Steele and Took Miller, and he's got a big gap on them. Yeah, no, he's been outstanding. But there's heaps of other rookies. Harris Andrews, the co-captain, was a rookie. Adam Saad, Jack Sinclair, back-to-back BNF winner. Nick Newman, runner-up at Carlton. Connor McKenna played in the grand final. So rookies all over the place in 2014 have done really, really well. I do like the multiple... Cameron start again, mate. Yes. I I did bribe them to be quiet, but I think my bribe powers run out. (laughs) Multiple best and fairest winners. So Petrarca picked two, Jack Steele picked 24, Took Miller picked 29, Jack uh, Jack Sinclair rookie picked one. Uh, all multiple best and fairest winners at their club. So bring us home with 2013, and this is the Bontempelli benefit. Quite staggering. Chosen at pick four, we, we remember behind Tom Boyd, Josh Kelly and Jack Billings. His domination of this draft is extraordinary. Number one for games, number two for possessions behind Zach Merritt, number four for goals behind three specialist forwards in Ben Brown, Charlie Cameron and Jesse Hogan. Number one for Brownlow votes, a five-time All-Australian. Cripps Merritt have three, Charlie Cameron two, the only other multiples. And he's a five-time BNF winner. Uh, Cripps has four, Merritt has four, and Kelly has two. An astonishing resume uh, for a guy who's still got plenty of football ahead of him. Those Brownlow votes, so Bontempelli pick four, 169 votes. Patrick Cripps pick 13, 141, and obviously Brownlow's. Uh, Zach Merritt pick 26, 128, show the way there. All Australians in this? This is interesting. 11 of the class of of 213 were all Australian squad members, but only three of them were picked inside the top 20. That was Kelly, Montempelli and Cripps. Matt Crouch at 23, Zach Merritt at 26, Tom Barris at 43, Alir Alir 44, Ben Brown, who's the number one goal kicker out of this draft at pick 47, Darcy Byrne-Jones 52, surprisingly James Sicily at 56 and Charlie Cameron. Value plus pickup rookie, rookie number seven. And premiership players, so there's a, a quirk here as to who who's won the most. 
Well, um, Sydney picked Toby Nankavis at pick 35 and gave him away to Richmond. He's won three premierships. He's the only multiple premiership player out of this draft. Um, most finals? Well, this is usually if I if I gave you ten picks to say who's player out of this draft and played most finals, you wouldn't get. Uh, he's not even the number one draftee in his own family. Cade Kalidashny went to sorry went to Gold Coast to pick five and didn't last long because of concussion issues. But Jake Kalidashny picked <laughs> forty one. Uh, ten years on, he's played most finals. He's played nineteen to uh, to rank ahead of Charlie Cameron sixteen, Josh Kelly fifteen, Nan Curvis fourteen. So. Um, once again, you don't have to be a superstar name. I love the annual deep dive that you do for us, Pete, and all those numbers that you keep to tell us what's actually in a draft and where you can get them, and you can get them anywhere. I, I love it. Good man. Thanks, mate, and thanks for a terrific year, mate. You, you keep us Queenslanders uh, informed with what's going on in Melbourne. We really appreciate it. Terrific. Peter Blucher there, our annual deep dive, what's in a draft, dissecting the past 10 years. Now, back to Waitley. Opening round has been revealed. The full fixture comes tomorrow from the AFL with uh, much debate, I'm sure. We're just taking a sample of your thoughts around Northern exposure to start the season. We've had a deep dive into the drafts of the past 10 years to set up for Monday night and Tuesday nights. Uh, Andrew McDonald off the top of the show with thoughts heading towards tomorrow night's semi-final, Australia and South Africa. Tonight, India have ordered the pitch for their semi against New Zealand. Uh, lots of correspondence. Let's check in with Mark in Sydney. Hello to you, Mark. Good morning, Jared. How are you going? I'm well. I just wanted to make two comments. The first one is, how brilliant are the AFL? Socceroos playing tomorrow night, Cricket World Cup happening, and we're talking AFL where there's not a game played till March next year. And to that guy that called up about crowds at the uh, SCG and that New South Wales don't follow cricket. May, uh, AFL, maybe he wants to see NRL crowds because they'd be lucky to get 8,000 a game. Now, I've got a question for you about tomorrow night's Cricket World Cup match. Who would you drop for Glenn Maxwell? Um, pending conditions. So I would drop Marcus Stoinis and I would play Manus Labuschagne. Um uh, that I'd revisit that on weather and pitch once they declare themselves. So um, that I flipped my position on that. I, I didn't think I wanted come semi-final night both heavy-duty batters, both Smith and Labuschagne. But the way this tournament has gone, uh, Crash has talked me into that. And Australia's not using Stoinis to his full effect, I don't think his batting is terribly worthwhile. And if he's not going to bowl, then I would rather have Labuschagne. If they've got a canny plan for his bowling and the conditions might play a role in that, if it's far less friendly because the ball will get slippery, then I could uh, I could see the alternate. Or if you were if you were setting up a game that's going to be severely reduced and it becomes something of a T20, then I could have Stoinis on that. But as I sit here now, just a stock standard game, I'm going to play Labuschagne uh, and and leave out Stoinis, um, and I've changed my position on that. Russell's in Gowanbray. Hello to you, Russell. Uh, good morning, Jared. Um, Jared, my uh, question's about uh, uh, Melbourne trading out Luke Jackson uh, um, last year uh, and getting picked, I think it was either three or four, and now we've slid down to six because of academy picks and all that sort of thing. Um, 
I, I reckon it's, uh, there's an inequality in it. I was wondering what you thought. Well, it is compromised in all sorts of different ways, and the Academy picks and the father-sons see the sliding, but um, the having to pay something like the right value for those players makes sense. It's just that it it has that effect of, of shuffling the order. So, yes, it is like so much of what we'll talk about tomorrow with the fixture, that there are compromises made, and what looks like a pure pick becomes uh, becomes a later pick. So you're absolutely right to flag it. Um, it. It is an inherent part of our system, and sometimes it's it's more costly than others. The Western Bulldogs, uh, this is a report out of the age. Uh, Marnie Vanell has just posted this. The Western Bulldogs have parted ways with coach Nathan Burke after a dismal season in which the club notched just one win. So the AFLW coach of the Western Bulldogs, Nathan Burke, has been sacked at uh, at the end of an unsuccessful season. Sam's in Thomastown. Welcome to you, Sam. Good morning, Gareth. I've got a quirky stat for the Brisbane Lions. First first picks in the draft have all done ACL, dating from Daniel Rich through Cam Rayner and Will Ashcroft. And after Josh Shackey left to come back to Melbourne, Eric Hip was, was the next pick. So he joins the Fab Four who've done their knees. And then I don't know if it's a quirk of fate. We picked up Tom Duday from Adelaide, and I don't know if he's the first round pick for them. And he's already done his knee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that that is a quirk, Sam. That is a quirk. It was interesting to hear just Peter Blucher just plot out where the critical mass of the Lions um, finals assault has has come from, and it. it it's that classic know your history dates back sort of five years. You shoot the lights out in, in one or two drafts in a row. Good on you, Sam. Lovely to have you there. I'll take some more of your calls shortly. Uh, there's a bit of weather watching going on, which I do particularly enjoy. Pete Lawler sent me two different websites out of India, which are plotting the weather. One had 60% chance of rain right through Thursday. It gets wet, uh, worse on Friday. But another one that was still holding to 27 degrees and a 2% chance of rain. We, we've We've agreed to go with the second one. For the time being, there's going to be a lot of fingers crossed. So also on a cricket front, um, we touch base with Chris Rogers, the Victorian cricket coach, ahead of each Shield match. Back at the MCG tomorrow against Queensland. It is a compressed table. Victoria sits on the bottom of it for the time being, but they're only one win behind the team on top. They are, however, on top of the one-day table. So let's uh, have a little play with Victorian cricket right now. Chris Rogers, always great to have you on the program. Welcome. Morning, Jared. How are you? I'm well. We focus typically on the Shield, but I want to digress this morning to start with. You sit atop the Marsh One Day Cup standings, four wins from five games. Um, I am curious, has this been a focus for you this season? Yeah, we've we've been building a little bit with this, um, with our one day side. We, I guess over the last couple of years, we've been forced into playing a lot of players who didn't have a lot of experience. Um um, and, and probably just educating them on on the way we we would like them to play, um, and and it's been working really well. So, uh, you know, we've got we think we've got the, the the right players in the in the right roles, and um, yeah, it's been it's been really good. Particularly Matt Short at the top, I think he's he's led um, and, and really got us off to some amazing starts, and um, and our bowling group's been uh, doing a good job as well. The win against Tassie looked excellent, and it was the it was the bowling group. So Sam Elliott, Fergus O'Neill, and Will Sutherland, and that 
I imagine in itself tells a story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I spoke about um, getting experience into these players and, and, you know, there's no substitute really. They, they, they just need to play some games and, and learn what, what they, they need to be doing. Um, but they've, we know they've got the attributes. It's, it's, um, it's them putting it together. I think Sammy Elliott's a, a, a really good one. He's, he's done some really good things through every game he's played, but probably hasn't put together a, a you know, a full performance and, and, this game looked closer to it. It was, you know, he, he knew when to bowl his slower balls. He knew when to attack with the ball, when to defend. And um, just from that point of view, I think there's been some great growth. And the quality of Matt Short's inning. So 81 not out in a game where it was a battle to get to 50. Um, just tell us about that. Yeah, he's, I mean, that's on the back of that incredible 100 against Queensland up in Mackay when we lost the toss and the... And the the pitch was, you know, was trickier than than he made it look. So um, he, he's playing, and you know, what seems like a different game. It's 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 the you know, as a as coaches, you you direct a, your bowlers to try and bowl at the the, the top of the stumps. Um, a lot feel that you know that that's the the best way to stop players playing. But he seems to be able to hit that ball over mid wicket, and, and it's just an incredible shot. And and. You know that that's just one of the sh- the shots he's he's showing us at the moment. But he's he's playing a, a different game, and um, you know I've no doubt there's going to be a a lot of a, a Australian um, performances for him uh, in the near future. So that that's uh, you've played your last one day for the time being. So is that is it February that you come back to that? Yeah, we've got two more games um, against South Australia and New South Wales uh, after the BBL, and you know if we we hopefully we win one of those and and we'll be into the final. So um, well positioned in that, but but still there's, um, you know, with with WA and and New South Wales um, having a few wins as well, um, we still need to to make sure of that. The Sheffield Shield, so we speak on the eve of games tomorrow against Queensland. This is a... So this is a super condensed table. Everyone's played four. The top team has won two. The bottom team has won one. So Tassie's on the top. You're on the bottom. There is um, there is still immense possibility here. It's time to get moving, isn't it? Uh, it is. I mean, yeah, it's 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 one of those ones where you know, yeah, exactly as you said. We we feel we we have a good win here against Queensland, um, and that could that could put us uh, right up there as well. So. Um, yeah, it's 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 tricky. I think I think it probably just shows um, how competitive the the, um, the competition is, and 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 every side on their day, um, particularly if they win the toss and and um, get control of the conditions and get in front of the game, um, can be very difficult to beat. So yeah, it's uh, it's on us. We 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 feel we're putting out a, a strong side um, this week. So. Um, we lose Matt Short to Australian T20 duties, um, but yeah, hopefully we can we can play a good game and, and get the uh, the better of Queensland, and and then yeah, maybe even end up at kind of third or or second or wherever. Just a quick reflection: the game at the Junction Oval didn't seem to get very far, which was sort of the fear going in of the, the pitches there at this time of year. What was it a frustration? Yeah, I mean it's it seems to be that. Uh, this time of year for the Junction Oval is it's really hard to get um, get the, the the pitch to 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 play the way we want. We we had a game similar time last year against uh, Western Australia and, and and that was a a similar result. So 
Um, yeah, we just, I think we just need a, a bit more warmth um, for, for more of the grass to grow and, and, and really um, give give better conditions to the bowlers. So, yeah, it, it, it petered out to a draw, unfortunately. We, we couldn't find a way to, to force the game. Um, but still, there were some, some good learnings and, you know, we, we know we're developing the side. So, so hopefully that'll... that'll pay off in a good performance this week. What did you see in the 164 from Marcus Harris? Um, well, a return to form, first and foremost. Um, you know, when, when you're talking about a, a batter who... He probably just hadn't spent a lot of time in the middle. He missed the first game with, with the birth of his child um, and then had a couple of um, games in, in, in tough conditions. Um, he really just, just wanted a... He wanted a um, a pitch where he could get stuck in and get moving again and, and get his feet moving and and I think we you know we you see with those conditions good players they just get the job done and and he made sure he cashed in and and by the end you know you could you could see that the difference his his rhythm um, the way he was hitting the ball was was outstanding again so you know I think it'll be a tougher test this week at the, at the MCG um, with with Nessa and Steckity. Um, Stickety bowled really well to him in the last game as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a, um, an excellent test for him, but but hopefully he's uh, he can get a few. Have you seen the pitch? Uh, not yet. It was um, under covers yesterday because of, because of the rain um, we had. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I spoke to the groundsman, Matt Page, and, and, and he thinks it's going to still do a bit. But... Um, yeah, it'll it'll probably play a little bit better than our game against New South Wales. So, um, yeah, I, I expect it to um, be a, a slightly tougher challenge for the bowlers. You've got a force change in the spin department. So, is Todd Murphy injured? Yeah, he's been he's been carrying a um, uh, a niggle in his the back of his shoulder. Um, that's why he missed the Australia A games um, before the start of the season. Um, and he's been doing well to, to carry it, really, but it, it probably just got to a point where just felt um, time to, to give him a rest and see if he can, you know, he, he can recover and get some rehab into it. Um, but because of that, he, he misses out. Um, but, yeah, it means a, a debut for Doug Warren from, from Melbourne University. He's been one that's in, been impressing us for a, for quite a while now. And, um, yeah, he started the season um, really well for Melbourne Uni, so... Uh, we look forward to to seeing how he goes. Tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, he's um, he, he probably hasn't been a lot through the, the, the pathway and and those kind of things. Um, um, been in all the kind of the, the youth squads, but uh, he's he's got the attributes. He's a tall left arm orthodox spinner. Um, bowls can bowl quite fast actually. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a he's a um, uh, you know, a, a lovely young man, um, uh, and, and you know, I, I was lucky enough to make the phone call to him yesterday, and you could tell how how happy he is. So, um, yeah, it's going to be um, a, a great challenge for him. But as I said, we we have really high hopes for him. The, just tell us about the the continued progression of Campbell Kellaway, uh, who was batting three in the previous game for you. Yeah, he, he's Campbell's. Uh, He's a perfectionist. He's one of these ones. I think he he thinks uh, if if he outworks everyone, um, you know, he'll he'll get the the results. He he hits more balls than 
than than anyone in the squad. Um, uh, and that's you know that's his method. But he's he's been working through a few things with his game. We, you know, we, he started off well last year, and then sides I think worked him out a little bit. Um, and so there was some work to do on his game just to just to open up some scoring areas for him. And um, but with that, there always comes challenges, especially when you're young, when you're trying to change a few technical things. Um, so it was kind of, you know, we've all, we we knew it was going to be one or two steps back to go, you know, three, four steps uh, forward. So it's been a challenge. He's been frustrated at, at, a lot at times, probably playing shots he he um, he doesn't usually play. Um, and, and one of those things too, when you're a young player, you know, you when you first come in, you, you grind and you defend and you do everything you can. And then, and then you feel you've kind of got to that level and you start playing more shots and, and you get out. So... Um, he he just uh, he just needs to go through this, but he came in as a um, concussion substitute for Travis Dean last game, almost um, on the back of lesser prep, and and you know went out and played really really well. So it was a great lesson for him. Um, but yeah, hopefully uh, bigger and better things to come from him very soon. Do you, from an opposition point of view, is this one of Usman Kawaja's rostered weeks on or off? Do you know? Uh, he's on. He's in the, in the squad. Okay. So um, yeah. So uh, obviously he's, he's he's coming off the back of a hundred. So um, you know we we know we'll have our our work cut out uh, against him. Um, and Matthew Renshaw was was particularly good against us last game as well. So um, they've got a couple of left-handers which um, um, have done quite well against us of, of, of late. So that's our challenge for our bowling group. Do you have Scott Boland in this game? We certainly do um, on the MCG. So that's always a huge bonus for us. And, and just watching him bowl yesterday, he probably hasn't been quite at the at his usual level, um, as I'm sure he'll admit. But just just watching him go about his work yesterday, I, I if I was a Queenslander batter, I, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed that. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, hopefully a, you know great games come from him. Will you sneak a peek at Australia's semi-final against South Africa if you can? Absolutely, yes. yeah. What do you um, think? Well, it's going to be a great game. I think, um, uh, I think I had to speak to um, George Bailey a few days ago about a couple of selection things, and he expects the, the pitch to, to turn there. Um, um, and, and, and South Africa have got a couple of decent spinners as well, but... Um, Australian batters are going pretty well at the moment. So, if, you know, if one of those catch fire, I, I, you know, you'd like to think Australia will get the job done. All right. Uh, enjoy that. Good luck at the MCG, Chris. Uh, great to chat as always. Thanks, Jared. Chris Rogers, Shield game tomorrow. Victoria versus Queensland at the MCG. Stack of correspondence to work through. 40 Wings Temper Text 0433981116. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Cricket and footy are right in our hitting zone today. A little bit of racing as well. Have your say with me coming up next. Melbourne's weather, 16 degrees. It's partly cloudy, a top of 20 expected. For City Power, supply and power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Thursday Night Footy, big hit, really popular with our fans. You know, um, great for people to watch it on free-to-wear around the country. You'll see the first 14 rounds where we'll have Thursday Night Footy, so I think everyone will be excited about that. Andrew Dillon on Channel 7 last night forecasting what's to come in the fixture tomorrow. So Thursday night footy right through the first portion of the season and they're not there at the back end by the sound of things from Sam Edmund. So we're sort of 
I I like two thirds of the uh, the opening round idea. I like about two thirds of that. I like about fourteen twenty thirds of that. If I'm honest, uh, your thoughts on opening round? The AFL has officially jumped the shark. Not only adding in games that nobody asked for, but not even calling the first round round one. We'll now have teams that have played two games by the end of round one. That's Jez. Yep, that's there's a logical uh, leap to be made in there. I don't think it's that difficult to grasp, though, what they're doing. Uh, brilliant idea. Football fans get an extra weekend of footy on TV. It will be a ratings bonanza for the broadcasters who are all providing the lion's share of the revenue which means that you will get to watch four games of footy all in clear air. Morning, Jared. This is a massive reaction to Sydney being disgruntled with the AFL, with Adelaide getting the gather round for the next few years. It was never a problem to change round one before Adelaide's big contract with gather round. Frank's on the road. Makes no sense not to have games in Melbourne. They can still have the showcase games in the northern states, but why not have games in the traditional state? Opening round, Victorians need to get over themselves. It's a national competition and not the VFL anymore. That's Andrew in South Australia. What a disgrace the AFL fixture 2024. No respect for the members. Is Geelong even playing next year? Why should we have to wait an extra week to see our team play? The fixture has no integrity, nor of the AFL. This game is really important to us fans and playing stupidly with our game is becoming tiresome. Victoria was under house arrest for two years. Now this BS... Stop it, AFL, at risk of losing us all. That's Raylene. Geelong will still play in round one in as per normal. This is a bit of a bonus for us. Nothing's been taken away. Jared, pretty sure 90% of the AFL fans have no issue with Northern Exposure Round. Your text machine and your call lines are always going to be skewed towards the naysayers. People are less inclined to ring up and say, all is good. <laughs> you found the secret to talkback radio in one text there. Start counting numbers, Gerald. You say one, two, three, four, etc. You don't say opening number one, two, three, four. The opening round is the first round, which is round one. It's just illogical and plain stupid to call it opening round separately to round one. Ridiculous. That's from Paul. As a Pies member, no issue with round zero. No problems starting the season versus the Giants in Sydney. Bit worried about what is proposed in the Herald Sun, which means no home games for Collingwood till round five. That seems odd. Peter and Q. No, don't fret on that front. Collingwood round two. No, <laughs> I did it. Oh, I did it. They got me. Collingwood round one Friday night versus Sydney. Flag unfurling. Massive occasion. <laughs> uh, they got me. What's going on here? The AFL have announced that former Australian Grand Prix CEO Andrew Westacott will join the club's board at their upcoming 2023 annual general meeting to be ratified on December 18th. Aren't these interesting times at the Western Bulldogs? So external review, Peter Jackson's coming in to look over the men's program. Bit of a systems check going in. Nathan Burke's been sacked as the AFLW coach. Andrew Westacott is joining the board. Uh, Marcus Bontempelli. He was he was left to speak about this yesterday at a sort of a prearranged function. I do think this is the role of the president and the chief executive to own these announcements and help us. We'll answer the questions that beg to be asked in the aftermath of this. This was the bond yesterday.
I don't think it's a, it's a personnel review, it's more a program and, and, and systems of the football club review. When I think about it, we've had a fair bit of turnover in the last sort of few months, so I think the aim will be to, to basically set those people up who've joined our football club um, to the best success um, and, and clearly get us challenging and competing at the top end for, for hopefully a long period of time. The captain of the Western Bulldogs. A couple of your texts after the Nathan Burke news. The Nathan Burke sacking is justified. The AFLW program has been caught asleep at the wheel as they have not kept up with the rest of the AFLW competition from a professional and development perspective, i.e. the Bulldog list's physical profile does not match the new benchmark, which is taller, fitter and leaner footballers. That's J-Dog, who knows his dog so well. And if only Nathan Burke had won... A grand final seven years ago, then maybe he would still have the same leniency as Luke Beveridge and wouldn't have got the sack. 0433 98 11 16 to ping through your thoughts. I've got a few more thoughts around the cricket with the semi finals starting tonight. You'll hear every ball of both games. So, India and New Zealand tonight. I'll be on duty with Damien Fleming for Australia and South Africa tomorrow night uh, after Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan from Cranbourne is corresponding. I don't care who plays, I'm just glad footy will be back and even a week early. I do follow Carlton, but I just love footy. Glad it's back early. Go Blues. I'm in that camp. An extra weekend of footy. Thursday night, Friday, two great games on Saturday. That'll be a bonanza. I'm looking forward to it already. Melbourne's home of the ultimate celebration, the Osman Rooftop and Bar, Commercial Road, South Yarra. David's in Mernda. Hello to you, David. Yeah, g'day, Jared. Um, look, I reckon it's a great concept that the AFL has come. And I think some people might need to look at it as if it's like a rocket launch in a way. Well, we count back, we count to one, and then the launch happens. This is exactly what the AFL has done, and I think it's a great idea. I like it, David. I, I even like the idea of round zero. Those people couldn't get their heads around that, so we're going with opening round ahead of round one. Anyway, I'll be I'll be wrapped when there's four games of footy, and there's four terrific games of footy to get us underway. Sell them out in Sydney and Brisbane. Let us watch them in huge numbers in Melbourne, and then we'll head to the MCG, where we normally do on that Thursday night, and nothing will be diminished. Uh, I just can I, can I I just want to read you this the Indian Express report this morning. So I mentioned this at the start. Slow pitch expected for Wankiri semi-final on Team India's insistence. This is just appalling. A slow pitch is expected for India's World Cup semi-final against New Zealand after the team management asked BCCI curators to shave off most of the grass on the Wankiri Stadium playing surface. The Indian Express understands that the think tank had informed the curator about their preference after the game against the Netherlands in Bangalore. The BCCI local curators have formed a local organising group to look after pitches across the country for the World Cup. The ICC also sent its own expert to various venues for each game. It won't be a turner, but the team had asked for a slow pitch. It was the main reason we shaved off the grass, a source said. It is just so brazen. You can do that for local games in India, for your own test matches, for your own white ball games. That has no business in a World Cup, which is an international tournament. The risk for India here is if they win this tournament, that this will simply be regarded as a tournament that was put on in India for India for India to win. And everything was done to allow that to happen. Just go and beat New Zealand on merit and make the final that way. It shouldn't be happening, but we know how cricket works, sort of. 
passive acceptance of it. We should rail against it when we see it. Uh, here's Rohit Sharma. India's recent history in white ball tournaments in ICC tournaments is poor. There is a, there's a decade of history to overcome here. Honestly, I mean, look, that's the beauty of this team. Uh, half of the guys were not even born when we won our first World Cup. And then when we won our second World Cup in 2011, half of the guys were not even playing the game. So, I mean, for us, you know, the, this current crop of players, they're very much into what is happening today, what can happen tomorrow. You know, those are the things they try and focus on. Uh, you know, uh, they really... I don't see them talking about, you know, how we how we won the last World Cup, how we won our first World Cup. Um, the focus is on how they can get better as a player, uh, what they can bring to the team, and what are the things they need to improve. Uh, so that's the beauty of the crop of players we have at this point in time. Uh, you know, the focus is always on the present. You know, you you obviously in the back of your mind you know what has happened in the past. But what has happened in the past is the past. You know, uh, what, what, what you can do today, what you can do tomorrow is what, you know, we, we usually talk about. Uh, so I don't think there's much debate or much talk about, uh, you know, what happened 10 years ago or five years ago or the last World Cup as well. You don't talk about it, but these things, they live in the walls, I reckon. There is pressure to overcome tonight. New Zealand have been so good in recent semifinals. So let's see. Let's see. You'll hear every ball tonight. Continual feedback from trainers and connections was they didn't like the uncertainty of the All-Star Mile. So they couldn't necessarily plan a preparation around the race because, one, they didn't know if they'd get voted in. And if they didn't get voted in, they didn't know if they'd win one of the uh, late winning your in races or get a wild card. So by the time we went to finalise the field, we found that a lot of stables were saying to us, oh, no, we're up in Sydney or we're heading to other races because of that uncertainty. Yeah. So we've listened to that feedback. We'll break down some of those barriers and uh, these changes will make it far easier for trainers to plan and hopefully it'll see even more new fans engage in that competition, noting that we think the All-Star Mile has been very successful. Yeah. It is the number one turnover race of the autumn. It has engaged new people. So it's worked. But after five years, it's appropriate yep. to make some changes. This removes all that that Correct. sort of uncertainty. Yeah. It makes it simpler. I think it guarantees a, a better quality field, noting that it's been very good field in the first yep. five years and it's well and truly rated above the Group 1 benchmark. But we also want to generate a, an, a superstar field because we've got the Australian Cup two weeks later next yes. year. That's Matt Welsh on Giddy Up with Gareth yesterday. He puts these races together for Racing Victoria. The Chief Executive, Andrew Jones, is going to join me in the studio tomorrow on a, on a whole raft of issues as racing reaches at the end of the Melbourne Cup Carnival, but an extension of Group 1 racing. Wayne Hawks for Westbury Stud, Tarzino, Reliable Man, Redwood and El Rocker, each providing success in more ways than one at Westbury Stud. Hello to you, Wayne. Morning, Jared. What's the purpose of the All-Star Mile if you take away its foundation gimmick, which is the public vote? Well, I think you I think you summed it up in the word gimmick. I'm in favour of what they're doing. So I'm not on that. I don't know which side of the ledger you're on, but I'm definitely on the side of the ledger that what RVL are doing, and I think he's right. Which part? Taking away the public vote? Well, <laughs> just hit me, hit me where it ends, Jared. Thanks. Um, look, at the end of the day, the, pro- the problem is that where, what their thought process is, it, you can still go into the barrel, let's say, for a lucky dip. 
And what's going to happen is anyone can click on and anyone can vote. You don't have to click on for any specific horse. So what's going to happen is everyone will just, however you're going to vote, I'm not sure how to do it, but let's say you, I do. You click on, you vote. What's going to happen is it's going to be like a Cox Plate barrier draw. So first name out the hat is Mr. G. Waitley of um, SEN. You will then decide which horse you want all the way down to number 16. So you don't necessarily have to be a racing fan to actually know at the start what you're going to click on. Because, of course, the favourites are going to go a lot sooner than what 101 pop is, obviously. So that's the, that's, that's the crux of it. And they're actually hoping that it might generate more people from the point of view that you don't have to be a racing fan at all. All you've got to do is enter, and you enter to win. Yep, I, I get that. But why wouldn't you just do that with the Australian Cup? Why wouldn't you just pump the millions and millions and millions of dollars into an actual Group 1 race and put the put the public prize there? Is I just think so th- this was a it was a, a um it was a flat pancake when it got released because the whole purpose was to get Winks and the Autumn Sun and they missed them in the first year yes. on the public vote. I just think, leave the pop-ups to Pete. He seems to have a pretty good idea what he's doing. We had a pop-up race that was based on a public vote. Now we took away the public vote, but we've kept the pop-up race. It just oh, makes pop, no sense to me. Pop-up Pete, you, you are the best. That, that, that'll get a run. The Landys will hear about that one, pop-up Pete. Never been called that before. Yeah, look, you've got a point. But I suppose to be fair to Matt, he wasn't the one that set it up. He's now one of the bosses in charge, and they're trying to tinker with it to try and improve it. The other thing, to be totally honest, is we were $30 million in, in the red this year, this financial year we're going to be. So we do need to do a bit of clipping and a bit of saving. And by changing the voting system, it is going to save a few dollars. They've also taken a million dollars off of the prize money, and I think that's a good thing. If you look at the Champions Mile last Saturday, Champions Mile Day, Jared, all those three races are worth $3 million. That's the start of the sweet spot. So I reckon it's three plus million. So this race is worth $4 million. Myself, I'd probably, now that what you've said, I'd probably say make the All-Star Mile worth three and add another million on the Australian Cup. But if you combine them both, you're talking five, six, seven million dollars anyway. So it's a good system how they're doing it now, two weeks before the Australian Cup. The other plus about this timing of the year in the autumn in Melbourne, we generally... We all, anyone that lives in Melbourne knows Christmas to Easter is our best time of year to be in Victoria. Sydney, when they're starting to get those wet, crappy tracks that haunt us every year. So yeah. we're going to be racing on a good track. Group one racing continues on Saturday. I'm hugely in favour of this. Uh, don't shut the gates after the Melbourne Cup Carnival. So Caulfield's picked it up. They've got the 1,000 guineas, which has got Corvalant and Skybird in a field of 13. I reckon the best measure is the Rupert Clark Stakes, which has got the full field of 16 plus three emergencies, so 19. There are no shortage of horses lining up for Group 1 races still out the back of Flemington if you put them on. Will this work? Well, you're right to a point. I mean, it... it, it, it... The measure is what is it going to take to work? That's the $64,000 question. I don't think it's a full-size field that's going to say that it worked. Obviously, what the biggest thing they're going to be talking about, and <clears throat> excuse me, they don't love saying it, but I'll say turnover is what it's got, to, it's got to be because obviously straight after Melbourne Cup, where things just flatten right out. So it'll be interesting to see where turnover comes after this race and 
whether they're going to admit where their turnover is. I hope they do, because I'd like to see it as some sort of measure to where and if it works, because, gee, you start, you're one of the first people to start this, if not the first one to start this two years ago. And this time last year, you were ramping on saying November is going to be the quietest month for a sporting journalist, a.k.a. that reverts to being a quietest month for sporting people or people that love watching sport. So let's push everything back. And that was what you... Well, you've banged on about it for ages, haven't you? So yeah. you've got a bit of what you want. You didn't get your cox plate, I'll admit that, but I reckon they're doing the right thing by trying a couple of these, uh, a couple of these other races. But we're not going to get Amelia Jewel. We're not going to get the Winxes and the great great horses because they must go to the paddock, Jared, and have a break. Because the biggest, uh, not hoo ha, but Melbourne's biggest month is February, and every time I look at the calendar, that's still summer. But we call it autumn racing. So Sydney's autumn, Melbourne is more summer. If you're running Cup Week, you don't have very long to give them a quick break and get back for the uh, back for the latter part of uh, summer. Yeah, there's heaps of Melbourne and Sydney form uh, that's coming to Caulfield. So I I think that's great. Uh, I hope they get a. You're crowd. loving it, yes. yeah. Yeah, you, you, are you are you going? Uh, I can't go, but. Um, uh, I'll be I'll be interested, much be more watching. interested than I was last year when we were at the provincials the day the week after the Melbourne Cup. Uh, terrific, Wayne. Thank you. Thanks, Jared. Wayne Hawks for Westbury Start. It's all about success with Tarzino at Westbury, and I see that uh, Mr. Brightside is going to the paddock, not to Hong Kong, so he's not going to have another crack at Romantic Warrior. He's going to go and have his spell.